Welcome to Financial Flight Academy with John Schutz and Brent Connolly from Soar Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we inspire families and business owners to build a foundation for their financial future. We do this by listening and building trust with our clients. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to protect your nest and live out your dreams as John and Brent draw from years of experience and guest experts to help you take that leap of faith. Well, welcome to Financial Flight Academy. I'm John Schutz, along with my co-host, Brent Connolly. Hello. How's everyone doing out there? I I hope well. <laughs> uh, our guest today, I think you're going to enjoy this one, uh, even though he's an attorney. Uh <laughs> This guy left his home in California, just a thousand dollars in his pocket, a Chevy Blazer and a dream. It's Nick Montague. Nick, welcome to Financial Flight Academy. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, talk with you guys today. Uh, the the um, uh, the story is not as exciting as the title there, but uh, we'll go through it. So we'll, you know, <laughs> we'll be we'll decide that. Yeah, if you guys can make that judgment. If you feel the need to embellish, please no, do so. Okay. All right. Uh, well, Nick is with uh, a partner at uh, Smith Pauley Law Firm, right, located here in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, if you ever wondered how to get your hard-earned assets transferred to loved ones efficiently, uh, maybe you've had a family member uh, involved in a probate situation after someone passed away. These are a few of the things, the concerns that Nick deals with on a daily basis and uh, things that we work with our clients here at Soar Wealth Strategies on. And Brent, I know that you and Nick have worked together for quite some time. We have, gosh, I think it's been over eight years now. And uh, I, I've told this to clients in the past, if I wasn't doing the job I was doing right now, I would honestly love to be an estate planning attorney because the way that you can help families protect assets and give them that peace of mind, it, it really is unbelievable. So um, Nick, let's just start off the beginning here. Let's jump into your childhood. Uh, it sounds like that you grew up in California. Tell me I grew up. about that. Yep. I was born in Sacramento, California. Um, I was there until I was about 12 years old. There were seven of us living in about a 900 square foot house there. And um, mom came home one day and said, dad, it's time to make a little money and, and a little more. And so he changed careers and that's sort of what uh, uprooted us from California and our journeys began, but ended up in Oregon for about a year and a half. He went back to be a heart perfusionist. Um, so in open heart surgery, he he performed uh, operated a machine that helped people stay alive and pump their blood and clean their blood and all that stuff. And, and so in order to do that, we went to Oregon to get, so he had a little more schooling there and, and for there landed in Arkansas was his first job out of, um, that particular, uh, school where he got his degree and landed in Arkansas where it turned into my home. And I love to this day, um, is kind of how I got there originally. And then from there, I was there for, I'd say seventh grade to halfway through junior year of high school at which point in time we decided to migrate back to California. So I did a full loop in the matter of, matter of you know, seven or eight years, whatever it was. There, Is this but... where we do the woo pig suey? Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to call the hogs today? You certainly can. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would prefer not. Although I will say, Nick, University of Arkansas is where you, you call the hogs for those who are not familiar with that. And uh, it did provide the most uncomfortable moment I ever witnessed in my sports broadcasting career when Dana Altman took the had basketball coaching job for one day mm -hmm. and had that look on his face when they called the hogs of what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. Not, not sure why that isn't part of the interview process coming here. You got to call the hogs or otherwise <laughs> forget about it. 
Uh, we've got some roots together. Uh, I think about Arkansas, the College World Series, growing up there, going to those games with my grandfather. Wonderful fan base. And I know that there's a little teaser here about the College World Series and your wife. And so we've got some similar experiences there. So, yeah. so you grew up in California, moved back to Arkansas, then went back to California. Uh, tell us a little bit how, you know, start from like high school there and, and what kind of, you know, changed there. Yeah. So I got there, I would say February of junior year. So just about going into senior year. Um, and you know, high school is a tough time for anybody and moving like that is a, a difficult situation, but luckily I, I played sports. So I played baseball and I was reasonable at it. Um, and I, I made the team So that's, a good that's better than me. <laughs> so I was able to get in with the team and, and sports kind of got me through those next 18 months or, or 22 months, however long I was there, um, through the end of high school, um, I was able to develop some friendships and relationships there around sports. I'm always knowing in my mind that California wasn't going to be a long term. I wasn't going to be there for any longer than I had to be because in my mind, Arkansas was home and I wanted to get back there as soon as I could. And, um, and so, you know, I got through high school, graduated and, um, and then it was, Hey, what's next? It's time to go to school. So we, we, yeah, we always like to talk to people about those formative years. What was money like? What kind of jobs did you have growing up? I started uh, with a little restaurant that no longer exists called Goldie's. And I, uh, <laughs> Goldie's, <laughs> yeah. are you part of the reason it doesn't <laughs> yeah, exist? It might be, <laughs> might've been, I was just washing dishes though. So I don't know, Okay, uh, but I started at Goldie's and, and worked there for a while. And, um, w- once, you know, once baseball and all that started, I didn't really work through the rest of high school. It was after when I graduated and parents said, okay, where are you going to college? And they said, uh, we'd like for you to go somewhere in California. And I said, I would not like to go somewhere here in California. <laughs> uh, and, and so we um, that we were kind of at a, at a standstill there. And so I didn't go to college right out of high school. I graduated and started working immediately at Home Depot, driving forklifts for really? about 18 months. Yeah. And loved it. Driving forklifts is an absolute <laughs> blast if you get an opportunity. Okay. Um, so I did that. And then during day, and then I worked it out back at night. And so I was waiting tables and busing tables and bartending mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, right after high school there. Probably nice to have a few bucks in your pocket. Yeah. A few bucks. That's right. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, you know, but get out of high school, 10 bucks is a few bucks, you know? So it's <laughs> one of those things where you live with your folks, you don't have any debt. It's, you know. Uh, okay. So mom and dad, rest. mom and dad want to keep their, their son local. Right. You have Arkansas roots, you know, right. talk a little bit about how you convince mom and dad that, Hey, I, I really need to go, go back to where I feel comfortable. Yeah. For better or worse, I'd say it wasn't much of a convincing, you know, I tried, uh, senior year of high school, it was, okay, I want to go back to Arkansas. I want to go there to school. And they just weren't having it. They just didn't want me to go. I mean, their little boy and 2000 miles and all those unknowns. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got to that standstill after high school and just said, look, I'm not going to go to school here. So I worked for a little while. And at one point I did go to a junior college there for one semester. I gave it a go and I thought, well, I'll just, I'm here. I better try. But after that semester, it just didn't feel right. And so I finally sat them down. I said, I know this is not what you want me to do. I know this is not what you want for my life, but this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Um, and, and so that's kind of how the conversation went. It wasn't a slow drip on him. It was like, okay, I'm leaving in two weeks. So, yeah. So we always talk about that leap of faith that people take, uh, on their path to success. What was your plan and how did you prepare for that move back to Arkansas? (laughs) Not much of a plan. I mean, let's pack and go. go. Uh, There, there was a specific date I needed to be there. So I wanted to go to the university of Arkansas. And I wanted to pay in-state tuition because out-of-state tuition was, I don't know, 20 grand a year, whatever it was. So I had to be there by a particular date in February to get six months in prior to the start of the next semester to get that in-state tuition. So I had to drop the date I had to be there. 
And once I established what that date was, you know, it was it was a month before I told my parents I was leaving. I don't know when it was that time frame, but it was a very very short time frame. Once I realized I have to be here now, otherwise I'm going to pay three times as much, and and so I just had to be there by a particular date. Um, and so that was my main driving goal was okay. We got to get there now. How I'm going to do it? And it was tough talking to my parents. I mean, we sat down and it was it was a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. Look, we don't support this. We support you, but we don't support this move. And mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of on your own to do it. And you know, if if I ever failed, there was no doubt I could walk back in that door and they accept me open arms and the whole thing. But in my mind, failure wasn't an option. It was a this is where I want to be and this is what's going to happen and whatever it takes, I will do it. And um, packed up and you know had everything I had in the U-Haul and the blazer like you you know the the the, the, the title here I had a thousand bucks in my pocket in the blazer and that was it and I filled up the U-Haul with you know I had a desk and my TV and a, a twin mattress bed and that was about it and, wow um some memories and packed out the driveway and took off so <laughs> it was uh it was a tearful experience say the least with my family there and they all you know missed me leaving and all those things but I uh, just one of those deals that you know looking back I don't know if I could do it again to be honest with you how long did it take you to drive cross country Oh, I think I did it in four days. My goal was to get out of the state day one. So I, tried, so I left. We're in Stockton. I drove until I hit the line and then I might have stayed over. Too. And it was funny. It was the first time I ever rented a hotel room. And I thought, wow, this is, and I'm like a real adult now. I got my hotel room. And wow, I think I made it in three days when I finally got out there. Okay. All right. So you, so you applied to Arkansas. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, from our previous conversation, you met all the metrics. But tell me what that experience was like right away. Yeah, so I made the I had the application. So they have particular, you know, GPA and, and all those different metrics. And if you hit a particular one, if you're in state there, it's, it's automatic acceptance. At least it was back then. So I had hit all those metrics I'd apply, but I hadn't got a result yet. So I didn't actually know that I was accepted into the school. I just knew that's where I wanted to be. And I had to be there by this date if I was ultimately accepted and wanted to pay in state tuition. So um yeah, I took off not knowing if I was gonna be in school or not for that first semester. And the plan B was there were some community colleges there, there around that I would have been in for a year or two until I got in. But luckily I got there and I got the letter pretty short thereafter that I had been accepted. And okay, so I got in. Now you did some oddball jobs. It sounds like too, you were a, a apartment maintenance man. Is that correct? <laughs> so lack of plan, like we talked about earlier, wasn't much of a plan, right? So I showed up in town and I stayed at one of my best friends growing up, uh, neighbor for a bunch of years four or five years down there, I stayed at her parents' house for about 10 days. I didn't have an apartment, didn't have anything. So I just had wow. a couch at their house and the U-Haul parked out front. And another friend of mine had <laughs> set me up you with- kept the U-Haul. <laughs> of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's where that money went to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so another friend of mine set me up with a um, an apartment complex in there in town. They, they had a a maintenance uh, position that was available and they said, hey, come work 20 hours a week for us and we'll- uh, We'll, we'll cut you a deal on the rent. So that's, I got my first apartment through that about a week or a week and a half later and started doing maintenance work for them, everything from changing filters to changing, you know, cleaning toilets and just whatever it took to wow. fill those 20 hours. Um, <laughs> and so that's where, so then I got the apartment and, and, you know, started there. And then I, I wasn't, um, I, I, I was working it out back in California, like I said, but I hadn't been accepted there either at the new one. And so I just showed up and I was like, Hey, I worked for, you know, last year and a half, two years at this restaurant, similar, similar restaurant, right? Different state, but uh, can I come work for you? And I was able to get the job there and start waiting tables and work in maintenance at this apartment complex for a little while. Yeah. And, and Arkansas, I believe is known as the land down under. So that's right. uh, perfect yeah. that uh-huh. you would be at uh, right. Outback. It's not actually, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, the law, 
every kid growing up wants to be an attorney. I think that's uh, how it works. Yeah. Sure, but sure. Uh, how did you develop a passion for the law? What what drew you to that <laughs> when you were at Arkansas? I'll start to develop that passion. I would tell you the the <laughs> only reason I went to law is because I wanted to be in federal law enforcement. Okay. I wanted to get in the FBI. You know, 12, 10, 12, whatever years ago it was that I was in you know undergrad. Um, federal law enforcement. For whatever reason, I developed a, a passion for criminal justice. That was my major in undergrad, and um, I. I interned for the U.S. Marshals in college, and they said, hey, don't be a U.S. Marshal, go be an FBI agent. And the, the main way you're going to be able to do is go to law school. Um, there's only four or five ways to get in. One of those is through getting a law degree. So uh, I said, okay, I guess I'll try that. Uh, not wanting to practice law ever. Uh, just wanted to, just wanting it is get my foot in the door for the FBI. Um, and so I took, you know, I took the LSATs and got my scores back and got them back too late. Got them back, I, I would say, March, April, maybe of the year I wanted to get into law school. Oh. And so most schools already had rolling admissions. So Arkansas had already closed their admissions because they already had enough applicants that hit metrics and otherwise and they accepted. So their class was closed and I didn't want to wait. Um, so <laughs> that's how I ended up at Creighton. Creighton had some spots and I was like, well, I don't even know where Nebraska <laughs> is, but let me go find out. I've never been to Omaha. <laughs> I know it's somewhere in the middle. I know it snows. I like snow. Let's go see about this. And, uh, so that's how I ended up at Creighton. Okay. Um, but yeah, I never intended to practice law. I just wanted to get into federal law enforcement is the reason I went to law school. Okay. So, all right. So that is interesting because John and I are both big Creighton fans. My grandfather was actually on the last football team at Creighton. And my wife played basketball at Creighton. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So we're glad you ended up at Creighton. Yeah. Go Blue Jays. That's um, right. So you took the leap of faith. You come to Omaha. And this is something we share in common here. And, and, uh, you know, I met my wife, Amy, at the College World Series, and uh, we have our unique story. And it sounds like you met your wife there, too. I did. I sure did the College World Series. And, you know, I talk about my passion for Arkansas, right? I was packed up, ready to go home. And I met her the summer I graduated law school, and my fate was sealed. It was from 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 forward, Nebraska's home for me because I met her that summer I graduated. So wonderful. Yeah, I met her at the College World Series. Um, uh, yeah, I just been wonderful. When was that? Yeah, 2013, I guess, when we met and okay. married a couple of years later and mm-hmm. married ever since. Three kids and no dog yet, but you know, as it, as it goes, minivan, the house, the, all the rest of it. Right. Well, and and that's. Did gonna... you turn in the U-Haul yet? I, that's I, what I'm going back. Okay, good, because that rent yeah. would probably be very high. I think I lost okay. the deposit, but the U-Haul went back. So. <laughs> gotcha. Just check it. <laughs> so now this is interesting because it's a good thing you met Mallory because you were waitlisted at Creighton, you said, for about three years. So tell me that experience while you were waitlisted. Well, so I wouldn't, uh, there wasn't a waitlist at Creighton. I got into Creighton. I had, there was a wait. So let me step back. When I applied for Creighton, there was a waitlist at the time to get in. So okay. rolling admissions, we talked about, right? Rolling admissions, I was waitlisted in a spot open and said, come in this year if you want to. So I was there for three years, graduated. When I got out, she played a huge vital role um, because I had no job and no career, no real future at that point. <laughs> right. I had this law degree, but you know, I did promise there's a lot yeah. more leap, 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 face. The inspiration is coming That's in a right. minute here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, I graduated and that summer you study for the bar. So I studied to take the bar and while well, I was taking the, the bar, uh, you know, you do not, you know, treat it like a job, right. You study 10 hours a day. Um, and you go to sleep and study 10 hours a day. And just, that was the routine for those, you know, that summer. Um, and at the time I was living with a buddy of mine and I, for whatever reason, I couldn't live at his house anymore and I had no place to live. And so her mom took me in. And actually, I, I lived at her mom's house 
having known her for three months. I lived at her mom's house on the floor on my mattress. Up. <laughs> I can't make this up. Wow. It's a trusting mother. It is. Oh my goodness. Best mother-in-law you can imagine. Um, and not mother-in-law at the time, right? Just as she met this bum, you know, knew me for three months and said, yeah, uh, you, know, you can come live at the house. So I did. And uh, so I passed the bar, you know, in Iowa is where I first took the bar, passed the bar. Then I waved over to Nebraska. So now I've, you know, I'm licensed in two states now. Uh, but still was just a hard market and a hard time to to find a job. And the uh, the government had a hiring freeze at the time. So the FBI was not taking applicants at the time. All right. So the whole goal was law school, FBI, um, but there were no applications. There was nothing to, you know, and, and I'm like, well, I'm sitting here, you know, sleeping on the floor on my mattress. I better go out and become a lawyer, right? I better go out and become an attorney. And so um, it was still tough. The market was hard. And so for six, eight, nine months after I graduated, um, I wasn't employed at a firm or anywhere. And so I was helping her brother. Her brother had a business at the time uh, cleaning out houses that had been foreclosed by banks. And so people would abandon the houses and we had them get them cleaned out so the banks could sell them or otherwise. And so I worked with them for, you know, whatever that period of time was um, to pay some bills and, you know, put a little milk in the fridge while I'm rent free at, at the at the house here until I got my first break. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. So when we come back, the inspiration is coming. Excuse me. Yeah, you. Thanks so much for listening to Financial Flight Academy. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at SoarWealthStrategies.com. And all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. So we're back with Nick Montague. And Nick, you finally get your opportunity to practice law. What did you? What was your first uh, focus in the law? And how did that job end up? Yeah, it was workers' comp defense. So that's where I started out. So if anybody doesn't know workers' comp defense or workers' comp, you get injured on the job. You want your employer to pay for your injury, right? And um, you know the laws say your every every body part you have is worth a value to somebody. And so they've got these <laughs> these these manuals out there. That's a table. That's a table. That's right. So it's a uh, you know what's my pinky finger worth? And so my job was to say, <laughs> you think your pinky's broken, but I don't think it is. And we're not paying the claim. And this is why. And so that's workers' comp defense. And there's a lot of medical record review and a lot of adversarial type work there. You know, not really what I love to do, but, you know, it was a job and, you know, had a paycheck coming in and every, every two weeks and all that. And it uh, didn't last too long. I was, uh, until 90 days, I went out to lunch and I went out and I don't know, I had a burrito. I had a wonderful lunch. It was a Friday. And I came back and I swiped my car to the parking garage and it doesn't open. I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Something's going on in the parking garage here. And I hit the little button. I get my ticket and I park and I go upstairs and I uh, go into, you know, my manager at the time. I went in his office and said, hey, you know, the parking garage, something messed up. My key card doesn't work anymore. He says, oh, that's strange. But hey, I want you to come down here to uh, this partner's office. We got to have a talk with you. Well, that's interesting. Is it time for a review? It's only been 90 days. You know, what What kind of review is this? And <laughs> and I walk in and, you know, we sit down and there's people around the table and you don't think it's going to go well. And it didn't go well. And it was the, uh, sorry, you haven't hit the billable hour requirement for the first three months here. Here's your pink slip. Uh, you're wow. Done. You're done. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> I walked back and I filled up the box with my, you know, my belongings that were at the desk and I was gone. And that was the end of that was my big break. My big break lasted 90 days. That's why I always <laughs> check my key here to the building multiple times a day, just in case. If I could figure out how to change that yeah, lock, I know. it would be exactly yeah, yeah. Have some trouble. I'm nervous to this day. Every you know, every time you hit the key card somewhere, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was that was the big break. Yep. That's where it started. Feeling a lot of love there. Yeah. The way it sounds. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, not wanting to be an attorney initially. And that was my first uh, you know 
So Nick, tell me now how you got uh, into the the practice you're doing now with estate planning. Tell me how that that, that began. Well, another story. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was riding my motorcycle. I was in the um, middle of Iowa. I was actually in Atlantic, Iowa, not quite the middle, but I was out there with my father-in-law. We were riding our motorcycles and ran into a friend of his who was a financial advisor. And he and I just started chatting and I was kind of telling him a background and mm-hmm. um, my experiences in the law. And 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 he recommended uh, for me to reach out to an attorney here in Omaha who had a, a position open with his estate planning law firm. And so I went back home and looked up what estate planning was. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and so I reached out. And, um, and it was actually, this is funny. It was the second time my resume had, had come across his desk. We had some other mutual connections and interviewed and, and went well, uh, at least to the extent that he hired me and I caught on and, and, and really found a passion for estate planning. Um, you know, what I found is that estate planning is about relationships more than documents. And so I was really able to, um, help people tell their story. And that's, that's what estate planning comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, everybody wants to be the hero of their own story. And so how do you help them do that? And how do you really help them think through the pitfalls and the, the what are they not considering and the impacts of what they're doing and how can they be intentional with giving? And and so I think through all my you know uh, days gone by, other jobs that I had, it was always service, service servicing people or ser- you know serving folks. And and estate planning gave me the opportunity to do that. And so I just love that about it. And it is a legal field and and there are laws and there are things to comply <laughs> with, right? Sure right? There are those things. Um, but But really it's about helping people. Um, and so I just absolutely fell in love with it. And it's, it's the area I've been in ever since, uh, probably eight, I guess, eight years now I've been practicing this particular area. Um, so that's where, that's where the passion came in. It wasn't, I'm um, passionate about law. I didn't wake up at five years old and say, I want to be an attorney and carry a briefcase, <laughs> but, <laughs> but through the years it was, um, you know, serving people is what I'd love to do. And, and that's, that's, uh, it allows me to do that being a state planning attorney. So now you're a big deal and you're a partner over at Smith Pauley. Big deal! Wow, I, I don't think they would sit tell you that, but <laughs> but I have a partner at Smith Pauley. Yeah, yeah, I, I got over there in August, so I've, I've been with a couple of the firms here. Why the, why the move there? You know what's great about them that they want to be disruptors, and they are. Um, they want to disrupt the practice, the traditional practice of law, which is so tied to the desk and so tied to the uh, billable hours, and it really doesn't allow for the the free flow of of thought, right? It doesn't allow for us to sit around and 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 talk about how we can best serve clients because we're so attached to hitting that hitting that buzzer, right? Hitting that six minute mark on the email <laughs> or or whatever it is, uh, and so they're disruptive in that perspective and that we're not tied to this huge giant. You have to build twenty five hundred hours a year type. Um, scenario. And and so it just allows us to not only get clients to, you know, there's a difference in getting clients to a a, a, a right decision or a decision and the, or a result rather, a result or the right result, right? There's, right, there's differences right. there because I can get you to a result, but, you know, in five years from now, it might be, you know, we, we could have taken a different road five years ago and had a better end, end result, um, you know, down the road here. And so it's, we can get you to, uh, you know, a result here, but have we really thought through the five, the 10, the 15, the 20 year plan, what this looks like? I mean, we helped you start the business, but have we talked about the growth and bringing on partners and how we're going to sell it and how we're going to, you know, uh, finance it and how we're going to do these other things. If we're not thinking about those, then we've gotten you to a result, but probably not the right result for you. And so our model allows us to really be innovative and be forward thinking with our clients. Uh, and, and so that's that's the exciting part about Smith Poly is it really is a different approach to client interactions and a different approach to practicing law that you're just not going to find other places. And that's what I love about it. It is so refreshing that that approach is out there because I can't tell you how many times we talk to clients, John, about let's come and sit down and talk to an estate planning attorney. And right away is, well, how much is it going to cost per hour? 
right, or right. What, what's it going to cost me to do that? That, you know, we don't ever want that to be a roadblock. Well, no. And it's such an important part as someone who has gone through an estate nightmare with an uncle of mine. Uh, it's just not something you want to leave to chance or a probate court or uh, leaving your loved one a mess, which is, you know, you just see it too often. I'm sure you see it a lot, Nick, too. But yeah, we, we, we see the the pitfalls of reactive planning, right? We want to be proactive when we're planning. We want to make sure we're sitting down with, with clients and and talking through scenarios and talking through situations and talking through goals and and really helping them get from A to Z. Um, and that's the approach we take with folks is because we, you know, we, we've all seen it in our professional careers, the reactive planning that something has happened right. and now we have to do something. Right. Well, yeah. And so what are some of those things that you see are pretty common mistakes that people make when it comes to estate planning? So, and just to be clear, when we talk about estate planning, sometimes it's something as simple as a will, which should include powers of attorney for financial powers of attorney, healthcare power of attorney. And, you know, if people want it, most people should have a living will in there. I think not speaking for you, <laughs> your legal may, opinion there, maybe <laughs> it's not uh, appropriate for everyone. But uh, I, again, having been in the situation of that person who maybe has to make a decision on life, uh, it's, it's good that those things are stated somewhere. So what are some of those common mistakes that people see? I would, I would you tell you, yeah, the, the two biggest ones we see continuity and communication, right? There, there's not a lot of, a lot of times you run into a situation where um, a plan has been put in place, but there's been no communication. There's been no communication with our decision makers, right? We get, mm -hmm. anytime we start a estate plan, it's, Hey, who is our power of attorney? Who's the individual I trust to make a decision for my finances and my medical, if I can't, or my spouse or whoever can't do that for me, who's this person I trust? And maybe I've named somebody, but they might not know, right? What, right. If they, what if they don't have the documents that say, hey, you're in control and something happens to me and I'm incapacitated? Well, how in the world are they going to know that it's their job to go talk to a doctor or call you guys because we got to pay a bill or do something? Mm -hmm. um, and so a lack of communication, not only with the folks that we have put in these different roles, uh, but sometimes it's the generational lack of communication. The next generation, the kids that are going to inherit the farm ground or the business or whatever it is, not communicating to them you know, how the plan is set up or who are the important people to go talk to when something happens to me. And the other piece of the, the communication we, we see or we miss or is missed is the communication among other professionals that the individual is working with. Mm -hmm. One of the unique things, the way you guys set this up is you build a team around your clients, right? And so there's not a lack of communication that there's not a pitfall there because the right arm knows what the left arm's doing, right? But we run into situations where again, great, we've got this plan in place, but if we can't have a conversation with the CPA, if we can't have the conversation with the financial uh, advisor, if we can't have a conversation with these other important folks that are a part or should be a part of this team, uh, we can lose sight of, of what the ultimate goal is for the client. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that building, building a team around the client, is so incredibly vital. And, and that's where you see that communication loss. Um, one of the big, the big issues and that continuity planning is saying kind of falls in that same realm of if we haven't, if we haven't discussed how we're going to get there, how are we, how are we going to make it? Right. That, that, that's a great point. And I, I've done so many of these meetings with you. Uh, give the listeners a, a quick um, example of, you know, how the, how your meetings typically go here as far as introductory meetings. Yeah. So <clears throat> typically what we do, we sit down and we want to cover four different, four different areas, right? The first area, we want to understand the family dynamic. Okay. So that means we want to understand your relationship. If you're married with a spouse, we want to understand what your careers and your goals look like. We want to understand when it is you want to walk away so we can help plan for that. 
from work, not from each other. We want to talk about kids. We want to talk about their, we really want to dig deep um, and understand the, the dynamic of the family situation. And once we understand that, we want to think about the assets that are out there. You know, every, every plan looks different based on situations, but we want to make sure those assets work in conjunction with whatever sort of plan is put in place, right? The ownership of your assets, the beneficiaries you designate, they all play a huge role and we want to make sure that works in conjunction with the plan that's on paper. We can have the great best plan and paper in the world, but if our assets don't work in conjunction with that, the paper's not worth what it's written on for accomplishing your goals. And so we talk to the assets, where they are, um, who owns them, you know, what the current beneficiaries look like. At the end of the day, we think through, okay, if the bus got you tomorrow, here's here's what's passing. And we want to think about that net worth number because that helps sometimes drive what your planning goals look like, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, if I went tomorrow, the insurance comes in and this comes in and there's equity in the house. And these are real values that are going to go to my beneficiaries. It helps you be intentional with your giving. And once we've identified family dynamics, once we've identified assets, what that looks like, then we talk through what your goals are. Okay. You know, is it just getting it down to beneficiaries? Is, is it controlling the when and the how and the if it comes out? Is it making sure there's some oversight on the finances? What does that look like to you and what's important to you? And, and what are you trying to convey? What are you trying to pass to those beneficiaries outside of just assets? Right? It's not it's not always here's the dollar. It's not always here's the check. It's what values were important to you and how do you instill that in the next generation? And then once we've identified the goals, then we talk through how we can accomplish that for you based on where you are. We're here in Nebraska or Iowa, wherever it is we're planning at the time, how we can accomplish that for you. What's the best method uh, to accomplish those goals? You know, what are the differences in the wills and trusts and powers of attorney? And we approach it from an educational standpoint. If people walk away from the table and, and they have in more than one occasion with nothing more than an education, I think we win at the end of the day, if they never engage me, but they walk out with more knowledge around estate planning, I think everybody wins. And so that's really the approach I think we take in most of our meetings. So, you know, we spend an hour and a half, two hours to go through these different areas with folks and make sure we're getting, getting the results based on their goals. Yeah. So I, I think the bottom line here for folks is if you want to make sure that your assets are protected, uh, your family communications is on the same page, which many times we know that is not the case and that your wealth transfer is seamless, that it's done the way that you want it to do. Families should uh, make sure that they have their estate plan in place. uh, Brent, you and I, for years, this has just been a part of what we do. We do regularly monthly scheduled meetings with estate planning attorneys. Absolutely. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head, Nick, education. We want to do these regularly scheduled meetings every month here in our office. Uh, We feel that estate planning is an overall foundational piece of the puzzle. And that's part of our comprehensive planning here at Sorwell Strategies. So, um, you know, if you'd like to get a hold of us here or, you know, Smith Poly Law Firm located in beautiful downtown Omaha, 3555 Farnham Suite Street, Suite 1000. Uh, you can also get them on the website at www.smithpoly.com. Um, and local phone number, area code 402-392-0101. And we've got an offer for folks here today, Brent. Uh, Do tell. If you'd like a little more information on how to get the conversation about estate planning started, you can call our office. Our number here is 531-867-3400. And mention this podcast and just ask for the estate planning questionnaire. And uh, Penny and Karen can get that out to you. It's a great resource, provides a lot of thought-provoking questions to get that conversation going about protecting not only your assets, but your family as well. Uh, so I think that's a great thing to offer. Nick, 
it's been great having you on Financial Flight Academy. Um, how are you going to deal with this fame? I'm not sure it's going to be tough, but I, I appreciate the time <laughs> to, come, to come in and talk with you guys. And again, I just like I appreciate the opportunity to partner with you guys and what you do because I think you provide a heck of a service for clients talking through these things because it's a lot of people get tripped up over it because they don't know the where or the when or the how to start, but you guys give them a start by yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to come and partner with you guys and have this conversation. And you know, what you guys do for your clients is such a service because a lot of people get tripped up on the when and the how and the uh, to, to start the plan, right? But you're you're offering a service where you're going to bring someone and talk to them about this, and we get over those hurdles pretty easily. Um, so, but thank you for the opportunity to partner with you guys and and uh, for your time today. Well, thank you for your story. Uh, your story is certainly inspiring. Talk about someone that took a leap of faith, and you know, I think you turned out pretty darn well with a thousand bucks and an old Chevy Blazer. <laughs> <laughs> and just remember, if you like this podcast, please share it with someone you care about. We would certainly like an opportunity to help families uh, build a plan, work with Nick and Smith Polly. Visit our website, storewealthstrategies.com. Also, you can find us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think until- they call it the Twitter. The no. Twitter? Yeah, the Twitter? Uh, maybe not. All right. And until next time, we uh, <laughs> episode six coming up uh, next. So. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on Financial Flight Academy. Thank you for listening to the Financial Flight Academy podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at soarwealthstrategies.com or give us a call at 531-867-3400. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Soar Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.